coming up on Millennial. You gotta think Chris Evans has a little bit of sway at Disney, right? You know, he's he's Captain America. He put out the world's most famous dick pic, and <laughs> they're still letting him be in their movies. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> I hope Buzz Lightyear accidentally, like, posts a dick pic on social media oh in this upcoming movie. Imagine a PR stunt like that. <laughs> <laughs> the one with the palm face up makes yes. me think they're, like, about to cup a pair of balls. <laughs> okay. Andrew, I'm so glad you said that. I feel like I might use this to send out all of my saved tweets. Like, I would just stop using oh. drafts, you know? I could just, like, tweet my heart's content, <laughs> The drafts too. unleashed. Yeah. Or if I just want to be petty. Well, yeah, a lot of my drafts are also <laughs> petty. <laughs> Welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting, but real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. All right, y'all. So you remember a couple weeks ago, um, I hung my head in shame as we revisited how much screen time we have on our phones. And I'm here with a report. I have endeavored to spend less time looking at my phone. I've done this both by implementing screen limits on certain kinds of apps on my phone, primarily social media. And I've also been very conscientious about putting my phone down and not staring at it. So a couple weeks ago, my average screen time was five hours and seven minutes a day. I want y'all to guess what my average screen time was last week. I'm going to guess three and a half hours. That's a pretty sizable reduction. I I was also going to guess that, but I'll go a little lower just to make things interesting. I'll say... Two hours and 45 minutes. Pam, you always assume the best of me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I will say it was closer to what Andrew said. It was three hours and 29 minutes was my average last week. Um, You'll remember that I had a sizable amount of time on TikTok the last time we had this conversation. It was like six hours a week. Um, Last week, I had it down to two hours and 25 minutes. So a pretty sizable reduction there. I'm proud of myself. (laughs) That is very good. We're proud of you, What are you doing instead in the mornings of like scrolling while you're drinking coffee? (laughs) Um, Watching Law & Order SVU. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. I just wanted to know how you were enjoying that time. Yeah. <laughs> Let me uh, watch some crimes. Oh, bad. We took away part of your morning routine. Yeah. <laughs> like, but to be fair, you know, I will say that I appreciate everybody in the millennial Facebook group for telling us that their screen times were way higher than ours. Because yes. I was, you know, averaging about the same amount that you were, Laura. And I also felt a little guilty since Andrew's number was so lean. But now I'm picturing Laura with a bowl of cereal in the morning. Uh, eating that while she watches Law and Order SVU. When I was a kid, I would have a bowl of cereal as I watched Pokemon before school. Is that what you're doing, Laura? Eating breakfast and watching Law and Order SVU Special Victims Unit? Okay, so you've unearthed another habit that I need to get better at. I don't really eat breakfast. Uh, um, okay. I'm I'm more of a coffee drinker in the morning, and sometimes that can result in me not having my first meal of the day until like. 2 p.m., which is not great. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, so that's something I'm working on. Unfortunately, I don't like cereal. Yeah. I'm not a cereal so, fan either much anymore. Yeah. I just eat a banana in the morning. I think that's good. Well, I'm glad we kind of shook you with that discussion a couple <laughs> weeks ago so much that you actually made some changes with your phone. I I don't recall shaming you. Well, I guess I did a little bit. Yeah. What am I talking about? I mean, about? that's but- what friends are for. 
So, Laura, you have a small sidebar update about Ukraine that you found interesting. So something that I wanted to bring up, and it's just a different perspective on the conflict happening in Ukraine. And this is obviously, I just want to preface this by saying this is a first world problem. I think it's really important to point this out. But it's a story that I don't think has gotten a ton of traction in mainstream news. Um, Vox talked about it, but I haven't really seen it anywhere else. And I didn't know this. Um, Actually, the two largest uh, manufacturers and developers of Neon, which plays a critical role in making the tech we use every day, are in Ukraine. And because of that um, and the conflict going on there, um, there is some thought that the chip shortage we've been talking about a lot recently that's resulted in shortages of cars and other electronics may continue because, quite frankly, there are more important things happening right now, like Ukrainian people fighting for um, you know, their liberty. Um, so as a result, that chip shortage might go on a bit longer. This was something that I wasn't aware of. I didn't know that neon was so scarce in terms of where it comes from, and that the two major providers were companies out of Ukraine. Yeah, me neither. And that's a good call out because I think we were actually hearing that this chip shortage, which has affected cars and obviously phones and computers, basically everything, this chip shortage would actually start to go away this year. But I guess now because of this war in Ukraine, which we did not really see coming, at least not until a couple of months ago, that's thrown a whole wrench in it. So it's just like weird news to read in the midst of all of the conflict and turmoil happening. Yeah. To be like, oh, by the way, like somewhat related, the chip shortage that we've been experiencing globally may continue as a result. Um, It is kind of funny (laughs) that it wasn't like there wasn't more of an effort put into doing news stories about where the materials come from and how that might have played into it. Because I think everybody assumes that most tech like that comes out of where a lot of the tech comes from, which is China, Asia, right. stuff like that. So, And that's like a little bit further west. So it's interesting. Great. Yeah. Speaking of updates, I wanted to update everybody on Disney and the backlash around their mishandling of Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. Variety is now reporting that Pixar is adding back in a lesbian kiss to their upcoming Buzz Lightyear origin movie in light of the backlash Disney's faced over this bill. So this Buzz Lightyear movie, it's kind of an origin story. It's starring Chris Evans, actually voicing Buzz Lightyear himself. It follows the Buzz Lightyear who would be turned into a toy that Andy and so many other kids bought. And so in this movie, there is a lesbian couple, and there was a kiss, I guess, in the script. Maybe it was fully animated, too. And then higher-ups at Pixar decided to cut this scene. Now it's being added back in. This seems pretty significant to me, since a lot of kids will be going to see this movie. It's part of the Toy Story franchise, after all. And now lots of kids are going to be seeing two women kiss. But you have to ask yourself, why was this cut? from this movie. And in the same Variety report that I just cited, uh, Variety reports that many other instances of LGBTQ representation have actually been cut over the years. So why did this happen? 
Variety reports that Pixar engaged in self-censorship out of an abiding belief that LGBTQ content wouldn't get past Disney review because Disney has needed the films to play in markets traditionally hostile to LGBTQ people, namely China, Russia, much of West Asia, and in the American South. So this report was very interesting to me because it surprised me that Pixar Brass hasn't even been bothering to try to include LGBTQ content and people because they know their bosses at Disney are just going to request that the stuff be cut. So it's almost like Pixar is saying it's not worth our money to spend on investing and developing this kind of content because we know Disney's never going to rubber stamp it. Right. I do find it interesting. And I wonder what this means for the film in markets like China, for example. Um, Will this end up being taken out similar to I know other features gayness has been either removed or minimized from movies? I wonder that too. I guess they could just uh, run a different cut of the movie that does not have the lesbian kiss. Or I'm also thinking about Laura uh, the new Fantastic Beast movie, we've heard it's very gay. Uh, you know, Dumbledore just straight up like professing his love for Grindelwald in at least one scene. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that gets censored in different areas of the world as well. We might get your answer uh, sooner rather than later since Fantastic Beasts comes out next month and then this Buzz Lightyear movie comes out sometime this summer. Maybe they're thinking that it'll be an easier sell since there haven't really been very many big releases coming out in the last few years. And so it's kind of like, well, you guys can take it or leave it because this is all we've got to offer. But who knows? I do want to also point out that a couple of months ago, we also talked about how Disney was already kind of in hot water with um, China specifically because they hired uh, Chloe Zhao and also um, Simu Liu, who have both spoken out against their home countries that's right and they don't really like that so yeah i don't know if the countries actually care if these movies will be released or not they can i'd like china can say okay well you have a lesbian kiss then we're not we're not running this at all or same thing for fantastic beasts but disney continues to be in hot water over their mishandling of the don't say gay bill in florida uh, Disney CEO Bob Chapek apologized again on Monday at a company-wide meeting, and uh, Disney also said on Monday Monday that they're putting together a task force to create LGBT-aware content for kids. So they're trying to make some changes. We'll see what this task force actually does. I don't know why they need a task force. It sounds like people at Pixar and elsewhere have been trying to get LGBTQ content into the movies so just continue working with the creative teams you already have clearly there's an interest in including queer people and in in all your content but there were company-wide walkouts on tuesday as well and the media was covering them so that's good getting a lot of attention on this but man this has just been such a a massive fuck up for disney yeah it's really interesting to watch this all unfold i really do wonder how Things like this task force, you know, depending on the reach that it has and whether it will have like an official charter and things that it's actually working on or if it's just for show so that they can say to the press, we have an LGBTQ task force. Um, But I do wonder what the impacts will be at the theme parks, namely the Orlando Park 
if they're really looking to make a far reaching effort to be more inclusive, given that their Orlando Park is, you know, obviously deep in the middle of Don't Say Gay Land. I guess I'll I'll applaud loudly when uh, that lesbian kiss happens in the Buzz Lightyear movie. Me also, too. you got to think Chris Evans has a little bit of sway at Disney, right? You know, he's he's Captain America, and surely he saw the lesbian kiss in the script. Like, has he been like fighting behind the scenes to keep that kiss included in the movie? Like, I, I got to like think th- that's <laughs> always the hope, right? Like, you want people that you like to do good or try and use their platforms for good. Yeah. Um, but who knows? I mean, like, he's pretty outspoken on Twitter, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I don't know. It doesn't seem like anything that would be out of the ordinary. If, But the thing is, then you have to think about whether or not he even knew that it was a possibility that this could have been in the script. I, yeah, I, I'm not going to assume he hasn't been trying to do something behind the scenes. But damn, he's Captain America. He's got America's ass. I think he could maybe kick some ass at Disney if I were him. He released, you know, he put out the world's most famous dick pic. And <laughs> they're still letting him be in their movies. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> I hope Buzz Lightyear <laughs> accidentally, like, posts a dick pic on social media oh in this upcoming movie. as a nice little nod to Chris's mistake. <laughs> Imagine a PR stunt like that. <laughs> Anyway, before we get to a a couple of larger topics today, I wanted to share some personal news, and it's some uh, pretty exciting personal news for me, actually. I'm very excited to share that I'm now a teacher. I'm I'm a teacher, y'all. Call me Professor Sims if you want. (laughs) Wow, look at you. So I launched an online course about creating Patreons last week. And the story behind this is is kind of interesting, especially to listeners of this show, I think. So a couple of years ago, I was actually appro- approached by one of our listeners, Chanel Walker, her name is, who is an instructional course designer for a living. And she emailed me out of the blue saying, hey, I'm a listener of the shows. I love the shows. Have you ever thought of launching a course on podcasting? And I was like, oh, that sounds like an interesting idea. Sounds like a fun new thing to try. And I was thinking about it more. And then I was looking, there's like tons of online courses about podcasting. And they're all like five, 10 bucks. Like there's so many. Everybody's trying to do it for really, really cheap. So I was like, how am I going to stand out in this busy area? Thanks, Chanel, but no thanks. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. But then I was thinking about it more, and I was thinking about my consulting site. I also do podcasting and Patreon consulting work in addition to editing, podcast editing. And I was like, well, wait a second. A lot of people actually come to my consulting site looking for help with Patreon. And then I started looking online, and there weren't many courses. There's like one or two about launching Patreons. I was like, well, this is my opportunity because I always get people coming to my site uh, without me even really having to try other than doing some SEO search engine optimization work to get people to the site. So long story short, uh, I started working on it with Chanel last May. It was a very big project, maybe one of the biggest projects I've ever taken out of my life. And uh, it's all done. So it's out there now. I don't expect many of our listeners to um, be interested in buying the course because to launch a Patreon, you have to be an established creator. And I know maybe some of our listeners 
would be interested in this type of thing. But I wanted to mention it because, you know, we do share personal news here on the show. And if anybody wants to check it out, you can go to patreon.teachable.com and actually set up a little discount for millennial listeners. You can use code millennial and you'll get a $25 discount on the course. There's an option to have a meeting with me too. In addition to taking the course, it's three and a half hours long. This is the real deal for a course. It's all original videos, worksheets, templates, all kinds of things. Uh, it's it's all been uh, transcribed too. There's closed captioning available. Big project. Very proud of it. So That's so exciting and congratulations. It's got to feel really good to have this up off the ground. Yeah. I'm wondering how much time did it take? Like if you had to ballpark the amount of hours it took, <laughs> what went into this? I don't know. A very long time. The thing is, <laughs> so I, I was I wanted to do this with Chanel because I wanted to do this right. And when you're designing a course, whether it's for uh, the internet or for, you know, teachers will know this, it can take a lot of time to sculpt something that's actually effective and really detailed. And she was very helpful in making sure I was thinking as widely as possible in order to help as many people as possible. And she was just kept reminding me over and over again, you got to assume people know nothing. So you got to explain everything. So that was a big process. And then filming this, which I did myself with this very camera, was a whole process process as well and editing and then adding graphics and rewrites and re-editing it's just it took a long time laura i i can't say how many hours but um it's gonna be a while before i do another one i think just because it's so much work but it was it was also a lot of fun yeah but safe to say you were spending multiple hours every week definitely for the last year Basically, any free time I had was was focused on uh, putting together this course. But it was a fun new challenge. And another reason I wanted to bring it up on Millennial is maybe some of you out there have have a talent. And I would recommend if you're if this kind of idea intrigues you creating an online course yourself, go online and type in knitting online course or whatever your passion and skill set is. And if you don't see any other online courses about the area that you're really talented in, you might want to think about this. It's it's a really cool opportunity. And, and you know, it's a new passive income stream. And I think it's kind of cool to brag that you have your own online. Co- I feel like an author now, sort of, you know, it's like it's kind of yeah. the same and thing. And there's like an animated version of you in these videos, right? Or at least in the intro video or the intro page. On the website. Yeah, on the intro page. Actually, one of our listeners, Tawny, who designed the Millennial 2020 on fire t-shirt, I worked with her on the caricature of me. It's very cute. (laughs) I want to make it your new contact picture (laughs) of my phone book. I'll send you the high res just for you. Yes, thank you. So anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's patreon.teachable.com. Really excited about it. Oh, and also I have a Instagram now all about launching Patreons. Um, this is Andrew on Patreon on Instagram. So um, check that out. Maybe if you're interested in what goes on behind the scenes for those who are running Patreons or who uh, are aspiring to launch a Patreon themselves. And lastly, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're a current patron, whether you're a former patron. I've only been able to build this through the years of experience running our own Patreons with Laura and Micah and Eric and Pam. So thank you to everybody who has supported us. It has taught me so much and really inspired me to help others because I know how important and powerful Patreon can be for creators. So I wanted to help people. 
thrive on Patreon like we have. Getting into our main topics this week, Pam, I was very surprised to see you suggest this actually because like I'm the designated nerd on the show. I know, I know. And then Pam's like, <laughs> I want to talk nerdy stuff. Honestly, it was just, you know, I think that it's always really fun to talk about things that are in the cultural zeitgeist and emojis definitely are in there. So it's a nice little cross between my world and and the first love of your life world, which is the <laughs> tech world. Um so yeah, but um but I I also thought that um you were maybe gonna suggest this and then when you didn't for this week I was like, well maybe I could do that. I could be Andrew for a for an episode. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, all this to say that Apple's new iOS update is also going to come with 37 new emojis, which is very exciting for people like my mom who use multiple emojis to in every text message she sends. Um, as Andrew pointed out earlier, these are also coming to Android, but it's possible you might already have some of these options on Android because sometimes Android gets things that we don't get for a while. So yeah, so there's actually this like emoji panel. They're part of the Unicode Consortium, and they decide which new emojis the phone makers have to put in phones. So that's why you'll see like Apple and Android. They're both rolling these out each year. Yeah. Did you guys get a chance to look at these? And are any of them speaking to you already? Yes, I had a chance to look at them. Um, Some of them seem like, yeah, cool. I could see myself using that. Um. In particular, I love the dotted line face where it's like the flat mouth. Um, And I usually use that reaction when I feel kind of underwhelmed by something or not impressed by something. But Mm. I love the dotted line. And for some reason, it makes me feel like that gif of Homer, like slowly backing into the bushes. (laughs) So I think I'm going to use that one um, as, you know, that sort of reaction moving forward. Um, The the um, what is it that it's called? Rightward and leftward hands make me so uncomfortable. There's something about them that I saw them and I was like, oh, I wonder if it's just the way that the the fingers are positioned. Because in the one that where it's like down, it kind of looks like a it's too boxy for a hand. It looks like a weird claw. And nobody actually holds their hands out that way. So the one with the palm face up makes me think they're like about to cup a pair of balls like it just <laughs> okay. looks like they're about to like <laughs> okay. grope something it's maybe that's why you find it creepy maybe I'm it'll so... be incorporated in with like the peach emoji and the eggplant now <laughs> Ooh, i'm gonna send that to pat Andrew, right i'm so glad you said that because when i saw that the first thing that i imagined and this is not an experience i've had in my life because i don't have balls but for those of you who do who go in for physical exams my understanding is that they cup your balls and tell you to cough and that's the first thing i thought of when i saw that upward facing <laughs> a couple that stood out to me the the melting face so it's a smiley face but the face is melting into the ground this is going to be my new upside down smiley uh which i've always used to signify i want somebody to kill me 
because it's just like I want to disappear into the earth. I want to go away. Please kill me. So I that's that's going to be my new go to. It's just <laughs> so funny. Like how do who thinks this stuff up? Like I know a melting smiley face. Like I guess that one reminds me of that. What is it? That gif where the room's on fire and then it's just like it's fine. Yeah, I have that funk. Yeah, in my shot yeah, with right, the dog. right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. And uh, the peeking through hands, one eye coming uh, through the fingers. I thought that was uh, a pretty good one, too, that I could use quite a bit. Yeah, a couple of other things that are coming in terms of emojis. There's a lip biting emoji. There are new pregnant people emojis. They have multiracial handshakes now, so you can customize both hands based on skin tone. And then there's some hipster looking ones like the mason jar and the uh, disco ball. So lots of fun Uh, little things. I too saw the mason jar one and I too thought hipsters. That's just for hipsters. The hands making the heart now. Did anybody mention that? That one's sweet. No, no. There's a lot of hands. It's like this one. Yeah. Uh, What's with? They also have like the the finger, the finger heart. Oh. Yeah. What's the one where it it looks like the hand is snapping almost? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I think I that's saw... what Pam was just. Oh, is that she it? She said, "This is I love you." Oh, it's that... it's it's a heart. Sorry, I was on mute. So this uh, this is a heart. I believe it it started in the BTS fandom. So it's big with the armies. So... Wait, surely they didn't invent that though. So it's no, not but sign I believe language, it was popularized be with that. And anybody listening can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it or- it originates in K-pop. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. So if you like look at like fan pictures with K-pop stars or even like pictures of K-pop stars, you'll often see them doing this because your fingers make the shape of a little heart. Oh, so it's interesting. Okay. Okay, I get that. What's with the... I, I got another one here I want to ask about. Why beans? It's like three beans. I'm assuming, it's, I'm assuming <laughs> this is because of TikTok's bean trend. No. Okay, <laughs> wait. No, there's no way these people are like, that's a TikTok trend. You know Let's what? make it an emoji. Listen, Let's fast track that into an emoji. Listen, <laughs> I don't think that it's out of the ordinary because I feel like all of this kind of evolves out of language that becomes colloquial to the internet at large and so like i don't know maybe not maybe i'm reading too much (laughs) into it but i don't think it's it's that far-fetched the k-pop one maybe the beans i mean there's a lot of food in in the emojis anyway they weren't like oh chicken thighs are so hot on tiktok let's let's (laughs) freak them over to emojis you know i like how they have an (laughs) identification card in here too Oh, it's yeah. like yeah. because of vaccine cards, because people are like carrying those around now. Like, yeah, it, it's crazy how many emojis there are at this point. I think they need to start being a little more picky, maybe. Like, did we really need the beans? I guess, like, <laughs> if you're trying to convey all of language around the world, there's going to be a lot you need to include, of course. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, is this ever going to end? When is this going to end? I don't the know. The emojis are just out of control. Is- I kind of <laughs> certainly feel that way. I guess the good thing is that now you can search for for emojis, which is nice. <laughs> Remember the days where you just had to scroll through oh, and oh, see yeah. if they had something that would work. Yeah, I also like that Apple when you type out a word. Sometimes it'll just be like, "Oh, just replace that one with an emoji." Right, right. Who wants to read a word when they can just see an emoji? So, what other uh, tech stories were on your radar, Pam? 
There's some Twitter stuff that has been rolling out or will be rolling out, which I thought was kind of interesting. The first is the introduction of downvotes. Uh, so this has been in the works for a while. So we knew this was something that was coming. Uh, it was quietly being rolled out at the beginning of last month. And the only reason I remembered about it is because I got a pop-up alert when I logged into Twitter one morning last week that said that I could now downvote tweets. And I don't know if you all uh, experienced the same thing over the course of the last few weeks, but... I did get this too. I primarily use TweetBot, which I do recommend people get. Maybe that should be my recommendation this week. Twitter is such a mess. Like just this past week, they got in trouble for rolling out like two versions of the feed. Did you see that? One's in reverse chronological order. The other one isn't. Uh, TweetBot is just no ads, um, just much, uh, much more streamlined Twitter and the tweets are in order. There's no silly algorithm. But I did see the downvotes thing. I do like this. I think this is also supposed to help Twitter filter out bad tweets for other people, right? Sort of like Reddit in that only the highly upvoted stuff surfaces to the top. I believe that is the inspiration. Yes. Um, There's a little message that pops up when you choose to downvote something. And to be clear, this is uh, completely anonymous. So you don't have to worry about that person getting an alert. Um. But there's a little pop-up that happens after you use this, and it says that Twitter will not show you more comments that are similar to this reply that you downvoted. Um, So like Andrew said, this is good if you're trying to curate your experience, you're somebody that maybe gets a fair bit of heat from trolls, and you just want to make sure that like bots and trolls and people like that are not showing up. Um, in the replies of your own tweets or in like the drop down replies, if you if you go to expand somebody else's tweet, that's really popping off. Um, but then others are kind of saying that maybe this could be a power that's used for maybe not good outcomes. So let's just say you don't agree with a certain political party alignment downvoting anybody that has an opinion that doesn't uh, necessarily echo echo your own is just going to further enforce the echo chamber you already have in terms of your algorithm. So I, I totally understand that angle as well. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm of two minds on it because I agree with what you're saying, Pam, um, that I think a lot of people can inadvertently end up in echo chambers. So Tools like this have to really be thought through before they're just thrust upon the world. On the other hand, I also feel like people who want to be in echo chambers are going to be in one no matter what we do to these apps. And it's kind of incumbent on the person or the individual to try and sort of diversify (laughs) the experience of opinions that they're getting in any given day. So I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is on that, because I think more of us are in echo chambers on social media than realize. Like, I just think about what gets curated in my own feed and what comes up in my TikTok algorithm or my YouTube algorithm. And I understand that it's stuff that's curated for me based on my interests and the searches that I've done previously. So I don't know. I don't know if this downvotes feature would drastically, you know, increase that problem or not. Yeah. Twitter has always had a 
content moderation problem. And it's always just been so messy in terms of what you see. And of course, the bots and trolls have always been a huge issue because it's this kind of open forum, whereas Facebook mm-hmm. has always been very you know, closed off. It's conversations between you and your friends. With Twitter, it's always been, unless you have a private account, um, it's conversations between you and the internet. And it can be really harmful to see people attacking you out of the blue. So I see why Twitter's trying different things out. They also added a really nice feature, I think, might be a year ago at this point, where you could disable receiving replies from anybody who doesn't follow you, which I think was a really great addition. So I'm all for them trying out different stuff like this. I don't trust that they're going to figure out any of this stuff uh, correctly the first time, as evidenced by what I just mentioned a couple uh, minutes ago, that update to the Twitter app uh, that people really hated. I think this ultimately will be a good thing. And to your point about that feature that allows you to customize who can reply to your tweets, um, I actually recently learned that I guess you can turn off replies later after you send the tweet as well, which I didn't know. So that is actually just something good to be aware of because, you know, say you tweet something and then all of a sudden you get way more attention on that thing than you were expecting you could just be like okay i'm done like listening to the public opinion on this the replies are turned off now for anybody that doesn't follow me or to everybody yeah what's the line always been rip my mentions when you blow up right (laughs) yeah get yourself in trouble (laughs) yeah and that that's been very stressful because then you want to leave twitter because you don't know when all the tweets are going to stop so by being able to uh stop the replies yourself that will make uh, twitter a more enjoyable experience for people yeah who wants to tweet knowing you could go viral and and get attacked by people for days weeks months on end it's a horrible place twitter it really is oh my god I only like it for for how fast journalists are on there when reporting news. I, I get Same. some chuckles out of Twitter from time to time, and there's like good comedians and communities there. But my God, I I don't think Twitter provides a net positive in my life. So no, and it it feels like it used to be so much better than what it is now. Like I remember the old days of Twitter, where everyone remember when everyone thought that they could set their location to Iran. To, <laughs> no. You don't remember that? It was uh, no. because people were being targeted for using social media uh, there in like 2007 or 2008. And mm-hmm. there was a whole movement on Twitter to like set your location to Tehran um, so that you could, quote, protect people in Iran who were trying to like live tweet updates and secure locations for people to flee to and everything like that. And the whole internet was like, nobody knew if that really helped, but everyone on Twitter was united. Like they were like, we want to help people. And I feel like it's so much easier to unite. It was so much easier to unite Twitter back then because there weren't as many people on Twitter. I think we were all early adopters. I feel like my, I got mine in 2008. Yep. Or 2007, something like that. It's just Twitter's just gotten so bloated with features. I mean, they tried Twitter stories, fleets, as they called them. They killed it. That was good. But like just scrolling through my my the website version of Twitter now, there's so much junk in between tweets. And I just like a simple reverse chronological order feed. And I'll try to keep up with it myself. Twitter, you don't need to help me. The trending section's always been a mess, too. Like the trending section will literally misreport that somebody is dead. 
what the F? How have they not figured that out by now? I know. <sighs> Anytime I see a famous person's name trending on Twitter, my heart skips a beat because I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> like I saw Gary Oldman trending the other day and I was like, ah, it was his birthday. He's not I dead. Know. <laughs> I just need all of those to come with like, don't worry, he's not dead in the description because most trending topics now on Twitter have descriptions of what that topic is about anyway. So third hot item, Pam. Yeah, this is the last uh, story in our little roundup here. Also related to Twitter, um, in case you missed it, they are coming in for Instagram's brand yet again, and they're set to introduce a close friends feature of their own. Um, This is also something that had kind of been, there have been murmurings about this for about a year now, uh, but one of the developers on the project leaked some screenshots of this. Um, and in the screenshots, they were testing this new feature. Uh, it looks like it's a little bit a ways away from being introduced, but when it does, it'll allow you to create your own Twitter circles and you'll be able to curate a list up to, uh, 150 people. And then you could tweet just to those 150 instead of to however many followers you have or less. You want to keep things close. So if you want to just let your closest friends know that you're eating a burrito or something. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's like a very old school Twitter tweet. It's like, I'm eating a burrito now. There you go. Be, you That'll know, bring back could, classic Twitter. Exactly. You can you can go ahead and do this when this feature launches. So um, were we so excited about this? I am because I have had a couple of private Twitter accounts over the years where just my closest friends will be allowed to follow it. And I've enjoyed having those so I could speak a little more honestly than I would on a public, more public platform like my public Twitter account. And I have, as I've kind of tapped, uh, touched on over the years on the show, I feel like a lot of pressure when making posts on social media because of the wider audience, it's it, it, it can be stressful. So I welcome this feature. I will probably use this feature. Instagram, like you mentioned, has had this. I haven't used it there yet, but uh, maybe I should start trying to use it and then I, I'll actually post more. I always get so excited when I see a green circle. I'm like, wow, somebody considers me a close friend. I use it from, so from time to time. Um, it's nice because, you know, we've talked about privacy, so it's like sometimes I don't want to be like, here's a picture of like outside my grandparents' house, but I don't care if my friends see what the outside of my grandparents' yeah. house looks like, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I So I do have a close friends group on Instagram. I very rarely post stories, to be honest. Um, but like when I was, you know, complaining about my house flooding in 2020, I was definitely posting stuff and bitching and moaning <laughs> in my Instagram stories because I didn't want my other followers to see like the outside of my house, the inside of my house. So for that, it's good. I don't really know if I would use this on Twitter. I've never had a fake Twitter or not a fake Twitter. Private Twitter. Private Twitter. <laughs> I guess I think of it because of Finsta. Yeah. Yeah. Because people do Finstas. So would this be Twitter? <laughs> sure. For your private account. So I don't know if I would use this any more than I use the feature on Instagram, which is not very often. I feel mm-hmm. like I might use this to send out all of my um, saved tweets. Like I would just stop using oh. drafts. You know, I could just like tweet to my heart's <laughs> The drafts too. unleashed. A select group of people that I feel like 
would not think it was dumb or would think it was dumb, but affectionately. And that would be fine with me. And if they are your close friends, they have more of a tolerance for the random stuff like right. the burrito example. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or if I just want to be petty. Well, yeah, a lot of my drafts are also <laughs> petty. <laughs> and if you're still not comfortable putting those petty tweets there, you can just launch a private Twitter account. It's just nice to shout into the void sometimes. And, and it's especially nice if the void shouts back and agrees with you. Yeah. Um, so I guess like this is kind of a way of creating your own void of people yeah. that you know. So yeah, yeah exactly. I will say the one nice thing about a private Twitter account is that me and a few others also had private Twitter accounts and we were all following each other. So we kind of it was basically a group chat where we just are all tweeting private things and, and letting some steam off and being honest. And we all saw, you know, each other's stuff. So it was a more uh, older school way of doing it before group chats got more popular, I guess. But yeah, yeah. so I Andrew's like- fake Twitter is spicy. <laughs> fake Twitter? Yeah. You mean, uh, you mean private Twitter? Private. Sorry, private Twitter. <laughs> I keep mixing up the terminology. My it's- Twitters are very real. Laura, can, can confirm he's very petty. <laughs> oh yeah, extremely petty. Yeah, it's great. The one, the one is at. I'm not going to approve any of you, but the the, the one <laughs> is at not the Sims. I just wanted to share that because it. I the the name has two meanings. One, I'm not the Sims video game, but B, it's not the Sims that you see on at Sims. It's the real B. <laughs> I also like that um, profile picture that you have. Oh, on your me private. sitting in President Snow's ch- uh, chair <laughs> yeah, from the Hunger Games. Yeah, because it reminds me of Comic-Con. That was a good Comic-Con installation. It was Yeah, fun. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wasn't even sure if you two followed my Not The Sims Twitter account. Oh, I do. I like I it do. when you tweet me from too. it. Cool. Well, I just tweeted a tweet for both of you. I don't care if other people see it because it's a closed friends list. <laughs> it just said, hey, Laura. Hey, Pam. That's it. Oh, That's tweet. I was expecting Very cute. more spice, but okay. Yeah. Oh, do you want me to talk <laughs> shit on yeah. you? On there? <laughs> Fuck you, Laura. <laughs> Fuck you, Pam. <laughs> I'm working right now. I didn't have time when to think we, about when that. When we don't reply, he can add a reply to us. <laughs> like, well, fuck you too. <laughs> so I'm sure you two have seen this all the time, are seeing this all the time. You go to a website. Maybe you've never been there before. You're, you're on your phone. So there's not a lot of screen real estate. And what's taking up half the screen we use cookies to track you. Is that okay? Do you see this everywhere? Yes. Yes. Super annoying. <laughs> yeah. And, I get and, it, but annoying. Well, the thing is, cookies have been around forever, for as long as we've been using the internet. But we weren't getting these messages until actually just a few years ago. So what's the deal with that? The answer is two-parted. In 2002, the EU enacted the e-privacy directive, and technically it was not a law, which states that websites had to obtain explicit consent from their visitors that it was okay to store cookies on their computer. They could no longer just set cookies without asking. But again, this was a directive. It wasn't a law. However, in 2018, Europe passed GDPR. And this is a privacy law designed to make sure users are aware of the data that companies collect about them and to give them a chance to consent to sharing that data. Companies are required to be transparent about what info they're gathering and why, and individuals get the right to access all their personal data, control access to it, and even have it deleted. And uh, California has actually had something similar in effect for the past two years. The thing is, even though these laws only apply to Europe and California, 
the whole world is having to deal with them because websites would rather be safe than sorry because uh, GDPR and I'm sure the California law, uh, they come with heavy fines. And um, to an extent, I think they're also sort of future proofing for any future laws, because like California did, some other states might enact some legislation that uh, prevents or, you know, requires similar types of warnings to users. Cookies are harmless, though. They've been a part of the Internet forever, like I said. And the other thing is, because we get so many of these messages every day, we're all clicking right past them. We don't read the terms and conditions just like we don't when we uh, download an app. But this is the TLDR on why you're seeing so many messages about cookies is now there there are laws in Europe and California. And it doesn't matter where you live. These websites are just setting them up for everybody now just to get ahead of any future potential legislation. I agree with you that it's kind of dumb because I've, I've also run into sites that either don't work um, as well if you refuse the cookies or... Like if you just decide you can't really like ignore the box anyway. So it almost kind of feels like you're forced to accept in some cases. They just want you to know that they're doing it now or just be hyper aware of it. But it just kind of feels like sometimes you have to accept anyway. So what's the point of of having you go through that process before you even, you know, do your business wherever you're shopping or whatever? Yeah. So I thought it might be helpful if we talked about some of the things that cookies help websites track. I think, Pam, you mentioned shopping, like abandoned carts. That's an example of something, right? Like if you go to a website, you put something like you want to buy into your shopping cart, and then you navigate you navigate away from the website and come back, and that item is still in your cart waiting for you to buy it. That's what cookies do. Um, I'm trying to think of some other kinds of information. I think location is one of the things that it can hold on to. Is there anything else that occurs to y'all? Used to be like autofill passwords, right? Yeah. Wasn't that, that part too. of it? Yeah. The last time you visited, mm-hmm. any preferences that you've had saved? I saw an example that um, like if you go to a weather website, you type in your zip code, it'll remember that for future times that you checked that you checked that website. So there's I think even maybe simply staying logged in. Yep. Right. So there's a lot. And if you were to block these cookies, which some people, some sites give you the option to do, you're going to break the site because websites need cookies. <laughs> you know, yeah. this the website's going to become less helpful to you because you need cookies in order for the website to remember you. It's also uh, so easy to clear cookies anyway. Yes. You, know, you can clear <laughs> your cash. You can clear. So it just, it's, I don't really care, you know, because I could agree to something and then just clear the cookies after. And it's, you know, an on thing. Yeah. But then, right. If you're visiting a site once, I I just feel like when we do visit websites, we're typically visiting them on a regular basis. So I don't even think really there's a point to clearing your cookies. Yeah. Well, just because you clear your cookies doesn't mean the website gets rid of your data. Right. Right. Like they still have the data. It's just... It's cleared on your end. And some of these laws are trying to make it possible for you to delete the data on their end, like GDPR is setting that up. And maybe maybe similar um, laws will be put in place around the world. What do each of us believe is the most annoying part of browsing a website? I I have equal levels of hate for auto playing videos, especially ones that have ads in front of them that start playing 
and uh, sort of like trick paywalls where like this conversation we had a few weeks ago about Googling when you're trying to find the answer to something, you see a promising article come up and halfway through the article, it's just rambling about the subject, but not really giving you an answer. And it's like to learn more, download our our you know, guide for $12 here or something like that. Super fucking annoying. Um, So I would say those two probably compete for my number one spot. For me, it's definitely autoplaying videos with the sound on. I feel like this always happens to me when I don't want sound to come blaring from my phone, you know, so it's like an especially quiet place, for example. And I also just think it's like a little bit seedy for websites to to give themselves a little extra view by having that autoplay on as yeah. well. So it just doesn't mm-hmm. sit well. It's a cheap way to boost your numbers. And then sometimes like I'll go in screen time. I actually noticed this a couple weeks ago. I'll go into the screen time settings on my phone and then I'll see that the Hollywood reporter.com has been running for 12 hours and Apple thinks it's screen time when really there was a stupid video playing in the corner of the Hollywood reporter.com. And then I closed Chrome on my phone, but I guess it was still running in the background. And then so I'm that's like, that's a new level of evil when it's yeah. not the top of the page. So you can easily find it. The ones that play, like you said, in the bottom corner, I just feel like are the worst of the worst. Yeah. Cause, cause, those are touch points for you when you're scrolling so you accidentally hit it this isn't it's not as annoying but it is something i see super frequently such and such website would like to know your location would you like to share oh yeah no yeah why do you need that (laughs) yeah i i can only think of one example where i want that and that's a weather website like I mentioned a few minutes ago, because that, that's a convenience thing. But sometimes like you go to a restaurant website and they're asking you straight away. I don't want to give you my precise location. And they do get your precise location. Yeah. Just let me type in my zip code and you tell me the nearest Dunkin' Donuts. Thank you. But yeah. um, oh, Chris in our discord actually has a good one. They say, I hate it when I'm on my phone and I can't look at prices or products unless I give them my phone number or email address. Yeah, that one's super any annoying. kind of subscription, anything I that I they do that a lot to get you on their mailing list. And it's incredibly annoying. Those mailing list hustles are, are very real. <laughs> I've been learning that putting together this course. I was working with a sales coach and they're like, build a mailing list. I'm like, oh, but I hate those messages. <laughs> um, uh, So, yeah, I think audio playing videos for me is. is probably the biggest annoyance also because you know those are eating up battery life on your phone and on uh on your computer though i do have a couple tips for like getting around some of this stuff so i i i kind of hesitate to recommend this because when hypable was going i probably wouldn't say this um install an ad blocker they work pretty darn well. Uh, they can also stop auto-playing videos. They can also auto-mute annoying areas of a website. Chrome, by the way, has a great feature. I think Safari has this too, where you can mute a tab. So if you if you see that a web page you're on is playing sound, but you don't know where the video is hiding, 
uh, you can just right click the tab and hit mute site and then it'll mute it and it'll remember those settings too. One other recommend recommendation though with the ad blockers is definitely allow ads on any website that you really want to support because websites really do rely on advertising revenue. So you don't want to screw them over. If you really want to support them, keep keep allow continue to allow ads and these ad blocker plugins they will allow you to um allow certain uh websites to display ads if you want to and then if you ever hit one of these paywalls this is unrelated to the ad blocker stuff if you go on a website like i like reading bloomberg uh from time to time bloomberg.com but they give you like three free articles before they require you to pay i have noticed with some websites that when you load the page, you can sometimes hit your escape key fast enough to stop loading the page. So it loads the article, but it doesn't load the paywall over top. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. So give that a shot. <laughs> it's like being on Jeopardy and trying to buzz in as quick as possible. <laughs> sometimes you can figure it out. Or if you hit that paywall, sometimes you can just load up a Chrome or a Safari, Safari incognito window and it'll forget that you've seen your monthly allowance. So those are a couple of workarounds. I know that isn't the most kosher thing to uh, offer here on the show, but it's a tough world out there and we got to get by how we can. So yeah, now Pam's mad at me as somebody as a, a, who writes online. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, support the good journalism if you can, always. Definitely but, you know, agree some, Sometimes... Those clickbait articles don't deserve your yeah your money. You or know? if a website is overdoing it with ads, yeah, hypable yes. went some went through some periods where we overdid it. I get why people turned on the ad blocker, um, but sometimes these publishers just don't think about the browsing experience from an ad perspective. They're like, let's just throw as many ads as possible to make as much money as possible, and you're gonna lose readers that way. All right. Um, our last story of the day concerns uh, Georgia Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, um, who is one of my personal heroes. Um, she actually made a cameo on Star Trek Discovery this past week as president of United Earth. And some people with nothing better to do had a hissy fit over it. Now, I will say it might sound weird to think about a candidate for governor appearing on Star Trek. Um, but Stacey Abrams is actually a longtime fan of Star Trek, has been very openly so. Um, she's also been really open about her creative side in the past. Um, she's actually written eight romance novels. Um, and she also just last year released a political thriller called Wild Justice Sleeps. Um, so she is someone who has not been shy about sharing her interests and sort of creative outlets outside of politics. Um, Ted Cruz was super triggered by this. I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter. <laughs> he saw the video uh, featuring her very short cameo in the season finale and was like, what the hell? Sorry, Ted. Star Trek is not going to invite you on. <laughs> that was his actual tweet, too. I yes. mean, Laura just read that verbatim. It's yeah. so childish. I know. Yeah. It's like Star Trek has long been a proponent of diverse storytelling and optimism. Those really aren't things that I think of when I think of Ted Cruz. <laughs> 
Um, the National Review also ran a column entitled Stacey Abrams does not deserve to be president of Earth as though president of Earth is a real thing and Star Trek is a real thing. It's a fucking TV show. um also wanted to point out that stacy abrams had a guest appearance on a cartoon episode of blackish in 2020 so the tldr here is that stacy abrams has interests and likes things outside of politics uh, and people are upset about it but i thought it would be interesting to look at other examples of politicians making pop culture appearances and chat about how we feel about that. Um, just for a few examples, we have a whole bunch here and an article that I can link to in the show notes that really dives in. Um, but Joe Biden and John McCain were both uh, both made appearances on Parks and Rec. Saturday Night Live, multiple politicians have been on this. There's too many to even go through. But notable names of recent uh, history would be like Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Barack Obama. So a lot of politicians there. Um, Hillary Clinton also made appearances on Murphy Brown and Broad City. Um, Hillary Clinton, Colin Powell, and Madeleine Albright made a joint appearance on Madam Secretary. Rudy Giuliani was on an episode of Seinfeld. This is really very common. And I think that when the latest and greatest big name in politics makes an appearance on a show, it makes a big splash because people who love that person love to see it. And people who hate that person think that it's the show or the network sort of tacitly buying into their brand of politics. So I thought we could chat about that a little bit today. And I'm curious to hear, how does it come across to y'all to see a politician make an appearance on a TV show like this? I definitely feel a little bit hypocritical because I think you hit the nail on the head. If you are a fan of the thing and you're a fan of, um, like the person that is on the show or, or in the movie or on the talk show, then of course you're going to be excited. But on the other hand, I've also kind of, you know, been on the other end. I know that you had this example of like Spicer and Perry being on Dancing with the Stars. And I, I agree that it is embarrassing for them to do that. But I know we've also had discussions about how it breeds empathy for people that have done some really terrible stuff. So on the other hand, I know there are some people that might say the same about Stacey Abrams because in their minds, she's done terrible political things, even if like we know that's BS. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I don't think that we have to sort of try to make false equivalencies here. I mean, Sean Spicer lied to the American people every day for his entire run as press secretary, right? So putting someone like him on Dancing with the Stars was kind of pathetic, honestly. Like, I think that you can have nuanced opinions about these things. Um, I mean, Rudy Giuliani being on Seinfeld, eh, it was in 1993. He had just been elected uh, mayor of New York. He was a very different person <laughs> at that point in time than he is now. Um, so I think it's possible to have nuance here. Um, and for as embarrassing as Rick Perry was on Dancing with the Stars, he was doing it to raise funds and awareness for um, returned veterans 
um, who had come back from extreme combat situations. So like, (laughs) he's a jackass, but he was doing it for a good cause. So we'll kind of let him have it. With Dancing with the Stars, I feel like (laughs) I've always felt this way when I watch the show. The people on it are either on fire or pathetic. There's like no middle ground. There's nobody on Dancing with the Stars who you're just like, oh, they're okay. I'm very torn of how to answer this. Pam brought up the breeding empathy point and the example there, I wanted to bring up that same point too. And the specific example I wanted to bring was when Donald Trump, while he was running for president in 2016, appeared on Jimmy Fallon. And there is this moment where Jimmy Fallon starts tousling Donald Trump's hair and is like, oh, can I, is this real? Is this real? And people always point to that moment when they say, this is why you can't have politicians on television shows like Jimmy Fallon, because you are humanizing this person. You're setting aside all the bad things this guy has done. And he had already said and done plenty bad by the time he appeared on Jimmy Fallon and got his hair tousled. It's it's humanizing them. It's breeding empathy. It's making them more likable. But I don't want to be biased here. So I I would be okay if politicians were just no longer invited to appear on these different programs. I think something like SNL, you can make the point that when these people do appear on SNL, and SNL, as you brought up, Laura, they've had Donald and Hillary and Elizabeth Warren and certainly other Republicans and Democrats, they do poke fun at these people while they are on air. That is probably the best way to do it. So you still remind is so you still remember that these people aren't perfect and that you got to keep the, the bad stuff in mind, too. If these people say, look, I'll appear on your show, but you can't make fun of me. Fuck that. They shouldn't be invited on. So I don't yeah. I, I'm still very torn where to land here. I tend to agree. I feel like each example is a case by case basis though yeah so i mean listen i'm gonna say perhaps i'm biased when it comes to stacey abrams but given the fact that she's been a loud and proud star trek fan for so long it doesn't feel completely out of place that she would do this um and i kind of Mm -hmm. loved hearing the words madam president (laughs) used when speaking to her (laughs) and that might be what's triggering to some people who um, would consider that that you know their worst nightmare, um, but something like that doesn't feel like it should be a huge deal. Like I tried to put myself in the shoes of imagining what if they had done that with like I don't know someone that I find really um, detestable, like Ivanka Trump, for example. I would have been like, ew. <laughs> Yeah, That's right. gross. But I think that would have been the extent of my commentary at this point. I've also moved away from being active on social media about these things. So if I see something like this that really rubs me the wrong way, I'm, you know, maybe disgusted by it momentarily, but then I move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe that's, you know, part of desensitization in our current world. Because there is so much happening all the time. It's hard to be mad at everything all the time, you know? Yeah. The thing with the the Ted Cruz tweet is that he probably actually wasn't pissed off about it. He he tweets stuff like this because he knows it's going to get his base fired up. Yeah. Well, I think also a lot of Republicans 
are afraid of Stacey Abrams. I don't know if you've paid attention to the rhetoric surrounding her, um, but she is a very prominent figure who has really resulted in a lot of people becoming registered to vote, particularly people of color. Um, mm-hmm. She's often credited for the you know buoy of support that John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock got here during the Senate runoffs in 2021. <laughs> Can't believe that was last January. And there's some thought that people like Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke may be the only things that get large Democratic voter turnout this fall during the midterms. So it could be linked to that as well. But oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But that goes into firing up their base, being like, how dare she appear on television? We will right. not let a, a, you know, a black woman beat us in these elections. You know, they're scared of that, too. They hate the idea of uh, the white man losing to a, a black woman course i will say if you watch there's like a short making of video in which she's interviewed about being on the show she's not talking about her campaign at all she's just really excited to be on the set of star trek yeah because she's been a longtime fan so yeah i was happy for her yeah it looks like I wouldn't watch a show. I'm not into Star Trek, but I like this scene where she's wearing the cloak as mm-hmm. president of United Earth. That yeah. must have been so cool for her because like you were mentioning before, she's clearly a fan. So it's not out of pocket. Exactly. Yeah. Ted Cruz doesn't like this because it's too close to reality for him. Stacey Abrams potentially becoming president one day. <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. If she ever does become president, she has to wear this cloak she wore on Star Trek. <laughs> Like, that would be incredible. I hope she got to keep the cloak. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, before we wrap up the show today, we want to talk a little bit about our Patreon and what's coming up in After Dark. Pam, you want to give us that After Dark plug? Yeah. So we're going to be talking about friendship, but we're going to be talking about friendships that have ended and specifically whether or not we have regrets over those relationships coming to a close in our lives. Yep. That and so much more personal content that you can find behind our Patreon over at patreon.com slash millennial. We've got really hundreds of hours at this point from Gosh, the beginning of 2015 when we started this show where we're talking about any and everything that is going on in our personal lives that we just want to sound off about more. We've also got our variety show over there. Um, We've got our breaking news installment. There's Palace Intrigue. There's really so much that you can take advantage of as soon as you sign up at any of our tiers, um, starting as low as $2. And we really appreciate any support that you're able to offer of the show. It is our bread and butter, especially on weeks like this week where we don't have that many ads. Yeah. I think some muggle suckage will come out during today's After Dark, too. Oh, boy. That's, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, there's you're talking overlap. about old friends, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll get it out of you, too. You watch. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, now I can immediately think of some things. I'm ready. <laughs> That'll be at patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody. And now it's time for recommendations. So uh, my boyfriend, Pat, had his birthday a little over a month ago, and I decided to to do a hard cider themed birthday for him since he's really into hard cider. And one of the things I found for him was a make your own cider kit. 
And this is actually available on Amazon. It was only $45. But one of the reasons I bring it up is because this company, the Craft a Brew Store, they have make your own uh, kits for different types of uh, beer as well, like an American Pale Ale, an Irish Stout, a, uh, a Milk Stout, a Hefeweizen, a house ale, Oktoberfest ale, all kinds of things. And you can make these at home. And it does take the process takes quite a quite a bit of time, but it's fun to build to make your own alcohol. And um so they they supply you with most materials that you need. Uh you might have to bring one or two other things yourself. Like for the hard cider kit, you had to bring your own juice. But it was really fun. Pat really enjoyed the experience of making it himself. Just a fun little activity if you're really into a certain type of alcohol. That does sound fun. Um, I want to make a recommendation for anyone who likes to find new ways to do at-home manicures. Um, I saw Olive in June (laughs) advertised on my Instagram feed. Um, I bowed to the advertisement and I ended up ordering one of their press-on nail kits because I was intrigued. Typically, I'm used to press-ons not looking the greatest um, because I've only ever really seen the ones that like you can get at the grocery store. And I don't know if it's just me, but I really suck at putting them on and they always look super janky. These were actually really nice. I'm not wearing them right now because I'm giving my nails a little bit of a break, but I have been wearing them for the last month or so. Um, When you put on a set of these press-ons, they last almost two weeks, which is something that I had previously thought was impossible with press-ons. They've got lots of cute designs. It's relatively affordable. You can also buy their press-ons in the store. But if you order one of their kits, they send you like a whole carrying bag with all of the different like glue and nail polish remover and like cuticle sticks um, and everything that you need to do an at-home manicure. And if you buy one of these altogether, it ends up paying itself off because if you went to the salon to get your nails done like twice, you'll spend more money than what you would spend on one of these kits. So I would recommend checking it out if you're looking for a way to save a little money on those manicures and spend less time in the salon. Because I know sometimes all the nail dust in those salons can get me sneezing like crazy. And especially in like a pandemic world, I don't want to be in a public place sneezing (laughs) and giving people the wrong idea. So check it out. I'm really glad that you uh, this is your recommendation because I actually do also really enjoy Olive and June and can vouch for their actual nail polish, which also lasts me about seven to 10 days without chipping if I do, you know, their top coat and two coats of their base and stuff like that. So it's a good brand. Um, I wanted to recommend Turning Red, which you can stream over on Disney Plus now, or I think some theaters are showing this as well. Um, it's the new Disney Pixar movie. I thought it was really cute. And I really enjoy that it's set in 2002 because the nostalgia is real. And I bow down to <laughs> nostalgia sometimes. I'm not immune to that being a, a grabbing point. Uh, but um, it's just it's really cute. I love the mother daughter relationship in it. I think it's really nice nice to see um, this new trend of Disney and Pixar exploring the nuances of mother-daughter relationships, especially um, uh, mother-daughter relationships and how like 
different cultures other than American can feed into how those look different. Um, so yeah, I think that everybody should go check it out and support some good diverse storytelling that's being done over there. And Laura, of course, is a huge red, a fan of Red Panda. Oh, so you must have jumped on this straight away, right? So it's funny, we haven't watched it yet. I've made the recommendation a couple of times. Um, but we have a list, like an ongoing queue of movies that we're watching. So it's kind of gotten bumped down the oh, list no. because we're, we were so behind on Demon Slayer and I wanted to watch the Mugen Train movie and we finally did that. So maybe this weekend we'll get to Turning Red. And also as a, another side note to this, the original songs that are in this for this fictional band called Four Town have no business being as catchy as they are. And you should uh, go stream the soundtrack, too, because I'm actually kind of mad by, <laughs> by how good they are. We're, but the songs were by Billie Eilish, right? Or at least one Billie of them Eilish was. and Phineas, all three. Wow. Okay. They wrote, yeah, but they didn't have to go so hard. They could have just phoned it in. <laughs> well, what do you expect? They're talented people. They can't. They I can't know, hold back. I know. They can't go. They can't go halfway. Yeah. Um, but they were a treat for sure. Does it rival the Encanto soundtrack? The Encanto <laughs> soundtrack is like a different level. I know. Of, of crack for your ears. Do you guys see that they're? <laughs> do you guys see that they're going to perform? We don't talk about Bruno at the Oscars. I did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Disney Man. really underestimated like the power of some of their Encanto tracks, but then also just like the power of Billy and Phineas turning out for these three songs and turning red. So, in the case of Encanto, I mean that's a fun surprise when something blows up and Disney or us as viewers didn't really expect it. You can never predict when something's going to go viral. And that, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda, when you're working with him, I guess there's a pretty good chance because he really oh, knows yeah. what he's doing. But mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, the man yeah. just comes up with the catchiest goddamn tunes. Nuts. That's that stuck movie in my too, head. In Kanto, just gorgeous. So good. I know. Yeah. But, like, look, talk about another great story that, you know, details another good mother-daughter relationship or familial, familial relationship. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, a couple reminders before we wrap up today. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can contact us by writing to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And our new TikTok is Millennial Pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Talk about Bruno. And we'll <laughs> see you next time.